Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace are most certainly yours. From God, our Heavenly Father, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, sin is the core problem in all creation, in our world. And Jesus came to resolve this problem through the forgiveness of sins. And the church exists to extend this work of Jesus to give the forgiveness of sins to all people. Now, I know this sounds to most, if not all of us, as a very basic, bottom-level statement of faith in the Christian faith. But I say this because I don't think that this statement is as well understood or even as well received as perhaps it was in previous generations. We recognize that sin is a shackle that binds us in guilt, shame, and and fear, and yet our world loves to sit in it and hold on to it. So, for instance, there are some churches in our world that do not offer the forgiveness of sins, right? They recognize, along with the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' time, that God alone can forgive sins. And so they will offer scripture readings and and prayers, and, and they'll stand alongside you to help you seek forgiveness directly from God. But what they miss is that Jesus himself is the one mediator who stands between God and us to reconcile us, to give us forgiveness directly, and that Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out as his deputies to forgive sins on his behalf. After Jesus was resurrected, he breathed on them and said to them, his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And so Jesus had promised to give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, of forgiveness, and of binding in sin to his church, and this is him fulfilling that promise. You see, he was providing people with a real person who would speak real words that they could hear with their ears and know for certain that God had forgiven them. Give them certainty that a feeling in the heart just does not give. And so we recognize that the church has the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the keys of forgiveness. It is called to use them. Now, this requires discernment, and we'll talk about that shortly. But there are also churches who go about throwing out a form of forgiveness without such discernment, without discipline. They tell you what your old nature wants to hear, that you're fine as you are, that you don't need to repent, that you don't need to change. They build you up, they puff you up, but not on the foundation that is Christ. You see, they they see discipline as harsh and unloving. And it can be if it's abused, no doubt. We recognize that. But what what these churches miss, or ignore possibly, is the truth that God disciplines those he loves. 
God has a heart for righteousness, for setting things right. And he ultimately does this with all of us through his son, but he also calls his creatures, his people, to enact that with one another. And so this requires discipline for sin. Because sweeping sin and sweeping hurt under the rug, it may make the offender feel good for a moment, but it doesn't help them improve, and it doesn't help the one who has been hurt. It doesn't help the community. It doesn't help the church. It doesn't help the whole world grow according to God's will. It doesn't set things right. It doesn't call people to repentance through which they are set right with God. And so Luther understood this about the church, that it holds the keys. And he wrote that God's holy people, holy Christians, are recognized by the office of the keys exercised publicly. That is, as Christ decrees in Matthew 18, what we read in our gospel reading this morning, if a Christian sins, he should be reproved. And if he does not mend his ways... He should be bound in his sin and cast out. If he does mend his ways, he should be absolved. That is the office of the keys. So it's important to note here, as we read that, we hear mend his ways. It's, it sounds a lot like fix yourself and you'll be forgiven. And that's not what Luther's saying. He's not promoting the medieval system of penance, where you had to earn your forgiveness through acts of piety. He's not saying that you are forgiven after you get your life together, after you set things right, but he's simply stating what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Uh, and in that text, there are some things that go unsaid, we might say. There are things that kind of lie underneath the text. So let's make this clear. Let's look at our text from Matthew 18 this morning. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Let's pause right there for a moment. And first, we should recognize that when he gives this instruction, he refers to a brother. That means a fellow Christian, someone who shares your confession that Jesus is Lord. People outside the church, there's a different standard, right? We can't hold them to the same standard. So Jesus is setting the bounds for this. Second, recognize that telling someone their fault is not an aggressive attack, right? Maybe we've experienced that once or twice, whether we are the one telling the fault or being told our fault but that's not what this is. It is direct, however. He doesn't say, go tell your pastor, go tell your, your friend what this person did to you. No, you go tell that person directly. So it's not aggressive, but it is direct. At least at first. We'll get to that in a moment. Third, when you are identifying the sin we should understand that there should be some expectation for a sort of reconciliation. So that's what, if he listens to you, implies, what it, what it indicates. It indicates that the brother agrees with you. He says, you're right. 
I have sinned against you, that he is confessing his sin and that he accepts the need to make amends in some way. And that's what Luther says, mends his ways. That's part of it. In other words, when he accepts, when he listens to you, he repents. He turns away from his sin and turns toward God in faith. So we go on. Jesus continues. He says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. This is where the church gets involved. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So we recognize that there can be cases of false accusations. We've seen that in our own lives, in the lives of others. But Jesus starts off, if your brother sins against you, the understanding here, this situation is, there actually is a sin that has occurred. And so in this situation, what Jesus says is, if this person refuses to listen to you, if they refuse to accept their sin, to confess their sin, and to repent, to turn away from it, then they're rejecting God's word. They are rejecting the very heart of the Christian faith, that we are sinners and that we need forgiveness. So the apostle John writes regarding this. He says, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we face this problem of obstinate refusal to acknowledge our own sin. And this is the, the, one of the main reasons for the office of the keys, one of the two functions of it. So this whole thing about casting out that can be very harsh to our ears, but it, we have to realize that this is not some vindictive power play. It's not an arbitrary act that we go about throwing around. It's not a way of saying, I'm purer than you, I'm better than you. No, it's simply a requirement to hold people to repentance. It's forcing them to turn away from sin and towards God in faith. It's a matter of letting someone feel the effects of their sin so that they realize their need for forgiveness, so that they need, they realize their need for God's word. It can be a matter of making you own up to the fact that you have hurt someone, whether in your words, your actions, even your thoughts. And if you're the one who's been hurt, this is a way of not reinforcing that hurt, to protect you so that the church does not condone sin. This is, difficult. this is difficult work, but it is the necessary work of the church. And so St. Paul 
encountered a situation like this in the church of Corinth. He wrote in 1 Corinthians about this. He had heard that there was a man living in open sin and that the church was celebrating this. Now, undoubtedly, the church of Corinth thought that they were really living the gospel, that they were really showing love, that it's maybe like when you sweep a sin under the rug for a family member because it's difficult to deal with. You think it's loving if we just look past it, that it's the nice thing to do because we've been taught to be nice our whole lives. But Paul rebuked the Corinthians harshly, and he said that this sin is going to spread. He knew the trouble of this world and that sin does not go away on its own, and that it would harm them and would harm their witness to the whole city and to the whole world. He told the church to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Yeah, Paul knew that sin does not go away on its own, and it has to be dealt with. Like yeast in dough, it, it, it can hide. You don't see it, and yet it continues to grow and to puff up when it's unchecked. It spreads to places that it wasn't before. It gets to where you don't mean it to be, and when it's there, it's too late. So Paul knew the danger of sin spreading and harming the people who were committing the sin, people who were condoning the sin, and the people who were outside the church. And as those who know the gospel of the free forgiveness of sins in Christ, you and I are tempted to fall into this same trap that the Corinthians did, to think that the gospel frees us from God's law. Now, the gospel indeed frees us from the condemnation of the law, and thanks be to God for that, but it does not condone sin, any action that contradicts God's law. Instead, instead, what the gospel does, by freeing us from condemnation of the law, you and I are brought into God's light, into his truth and empower to confess those sins that we have committed, knowing that they will be forgiven, as John wrote. You are empowered to confess your sins freely, knowing that God freely forgives any sin confessed. It no longer binds you in guilt and shame and fear, because Christ has freed you from those powers. But Jesus said that people love the darkness rather than the light. And so, if you refuse to confess your sins, as John wrote, you're calling God a liar. And the church is instructed to respond by withholding forgiveness for your own sake and for the sake of the church. Discipline from the church is the means in this situation. The means, not the goal. The goal is repentance 
leading to forgiveness, to reconciliation with God and with one another. This means that the church must exercise the binding key from time to time. And let's note that this is not just the job of the pastors. Now, we exercise the keys publicly. We do that here on Sundays, but you, the church, begin this process in private, as Jesus said, one to another. Their proper use marks you as the true church of God. As I said, this isn't easy. We're brought, to, we're brought up to be nice people. We want to avoid any confrontation, anything that is uncomfortable, anything that's easy. But holding people to their sin, bringing them to repentance, through which there is forgiveness, life, and salvation, this is the church's job. And when they refuse to repent, this is necessary. Now, of course, there is uh, two key. There are two keys, right? And we've spent quite a bit of time talking about the binding key because this is the one that tends to be thrown in the drawer and forgotten and ignored. But the loosing key, the forgiveness of sins, this is the great gift of the church that we have through Christ Jesus that you have already received this morning. When you confessed your sins and you heard a sure and certain word through a man who was called by God to speak on his behalf, to say, your sins are forgiven. There is no question. They are forgiven. And you hear this week in and week out for your sake, for your benefit. So as I said, we, your pastors, handled this key publicly here on Sundays. But if you feel the burden of sin, if you feel the pain of bondage, if you feel the fear of accusations, you can come to us any day and confess your sins and receive that same absolution anytime, directly. You can hear the words and know for sure your sins are forgiven. Any sin that is confessed. And you can go to your brother if you've sinned against them. You can confess your sins and receive that sure and certain word of forgiveness on behalf of Christ, someone who is a royal priest who has been given the keys as part of the church. You can receive that gift. Whatever your sin, you know that Christ has won forgiveness for that on the cross. Whatever your sin, if you confess it and you repent of it, you turn away from that sin and you turn towards Jesus in faith, Jesus has commanded that you be forgiven. Whether their thoughts, your words, your deeds, whatever, if it's something that you have done or something that you've left undone, anything and everything will be forgiven you when confessed. There's no getting around it, though. This isn't easy. We call this reconciliation. 
sorting things out, getting right with one another. It's hard work. Making restitution in a case where it's possible is not easy. And many times you can't do this. And so what do you do with your brother? Well, for Jesus, this is easy. Because with Jesus, it's already done. He's already paid for all of your sins, all of my sins, any sin that has been committed, that will be committed, that could be committed. And his forgiveness is free. It flows freely. He has earned it, and he hands it out freely. He won all all forgiveness through his suffering, his death on the cross, at the hands of vindictive power so that you and I don't have to play those games. He gives us restoration and peace with God so that we can have that with one another. In his church here in this place, forgiveness flows freely to any and all who are hurt by sin, whether you are the one committing it or having the one receiving it. Forgiveness flows to those who know their need for forgiveness. Those who turn to Jesus, trusting him, that he is the source of all forgiveness and all healing. Well, the church in Corinth enacted uh, Paul's advice, apparently. So Paul wrote another letter to the church in Corinth, and he wrote to them, For such a one, this man living in open sin, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. You see, the goal of discipline is never vindictive uh, punishment. It's always reconciliation with God and with one another. It's repentance leading to forgiveness, to healing and growth. And so having been forgiven, you are set free to go and forgive others, to wipe the slate clean, to say, I don't need to be paid back because my whole debt has been paid I don't need anything but Jesus. This life of repentance and of forgiveness daily, this is what we call the Christian life. And so Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Well, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is here, here in his church. And where Jesus is, There is forgiveness, there's life, there's salvation, there's healing, there's reconciliation, there is restoration. So are you or someone you know, are they looking for a church, for the church? Are they looking for the place where sin is handled according to God's word, where there's forgiveness and life, where you are empowered to forgive as you are forgiven in Christ. 
Well, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this is it. This is the church, and you are forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.